Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Hello all and welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast episode 42. Today's topic is pregnancy, back pain, pelvic pain and features Sarah Fellows, pelvic health physiotherapist. Back pain is hugely common during pregnancy as you'll find out and it can be tricky to shift if it's not managed correctly. Sarah discusses what are the common causes of pain during pregnancy and what's the best way to manage it and also what exercises are safe to do during your pregnancy plus much more. Now, as a reminder, if you're enjoying these episodes or know of someone who needs to hear this information, whether that's a friend or a family member with back pain or a patient you may be treating with back pain, please share it with them. It really helps us out. You may also wish to follow us on social media. We are active on Twitter at the back pain pod underscore Instagram at the back pain podcast and Facebook also at the back pain podcast. All of the links you'll find in the show notes below. But that's it from me. I'll leave you now to sit back and enjoy the latest episode featuring Sarah Fellows. Enjoy. And we are live. Welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. Today, I'm joined by physiotherapist Sarah Fellows, and we're discussing all things pregnancy, pelvic pain and back pain. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you for having me back on. No worries. Thank you for rejoining us. As we mentioned in the intro, this is Sarah's second uh, second appearance on the Back Pain Podcast. So thank you again for taking the time out of your, of your schedule. So You're welcome. let's kick it right off with talking about pregnancy-related back pain or back pain during pregnancy. How common actually is it? Um, so it's really quite common. Uh, the evidence tells us that pregnancy-related lower back pain and pelvic girdle pain account for 56 to 72% of the antenatal population. So it's fairly high. And pelvic girdle, I'll get onto the definitions of what lower back pain and pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy are, but pelvic girdle pain is the second most common reason for sick leave and women with that condition are three times more likely to experience postpartum depression. So it's really, um, really critical that healthcare providers are, you know, treat it, nipping it in the bud, really, and treating it with the, in the best way that we can so that we're reducing the chances of women having this condition postnatally. Yeah. So the definition between the two is... Lower back pain is defined as having pain between the 12th rib, so that's bottom of the rib cage, and to the crease of the bottom, your bum. The, to- the top of the bottom. <clears throat> yeah, the gluteal fold, which is the, to- the, 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 the bum crease, yeah. if you like. And pelvic girdle pain is defined as pain experienced between the posterior iliac crest. So if you think about the shelf of the pelvis, if you put a hand on your pelvis, and if you come round to the back, that is the posterior iliac, iliac crest and going down to the crease of the bottom. And it's particularly sensitive around the sacroiliac joints and then around to the front into the pubic symphysis, which is that the pubic bone which joins the two sides of the pelvis together. Um, but you can have it on one side, both sides. You could have it at the front as well. So it just very much depends on how the person's presenting. Yeah. So that's the prevalence. Yeah. So the, so it's an incredibly common a, a common occurrence, and the importance of then, as you said, of you know reducing the chance of postnatal depression and things like that is is quite vital. So seeing someone who understands this problem is really important. Yeah. If you really are, important. If you, if yeah. If you're suffering. And so once it's there, so if you're pregnant and you start getting back pain or pelvic girdle pain, will it go away or once is it there, will it be there for the, 
kind of the whole pregnancy? So that very much depends on how the person is deals with it and how they're treated. So we now, now know with a kind of emerging evidence that one of the biggest drivers of um, back pain and pelvic girdle pain is the fear. So pregnancy is just... Uh, it's heavily laden with fears from the moment we get pregnant to how we're going to cope with the pregnancy, how, you know, if the pregnancy is going to go okay. And depending on what someone has heard about the condition, so for example, language that has commonly been used is relaxing, which is the pregnancy hormone, softens the joints and makes your bones and your joints move and potentially gap or and some some language has been like um, the pelvis is misaligned. So this is all quite kind of fear-mongering language in that nobody wants to think about the pelvis that's holding their baby as an unstable structure. <clears throat> and actually, it's completely unfounded. There's no correlation to back pain and relaxing. So you don't have to worry about the peaks of relaxing correlating with your back pain. It's just simply unfounded. And the structures of your pelvis, the sacroiliac joints and your pubic symphysis are super strong structures. They are stable and there will be no misalignment in your pelvis. It's really unlikely that there's going to be any gapping. What happens is that the structures become really sensitized. So they just become really irritated and that's for various reasons. And so will it get better if it's handled in the right way? Yes, it will. That's, that's that's good to know. So that so that you know old fashioned analogy we used to talk about of relaxing and you know that unstable pelvis. You know that there's, it's there's nothing. It's utter to nonsense. That. Good good to know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's yeah. That's that, that's good. <laughs> Very good to know because a lot of people, as you said, if you if you're telling someone that their pelvis is unstable or out of place, and that is you know a bucket holding their fetus or holding their baby, he doesn't. It's not a very good mental model, is it? To, no, uh, to, and, to walk around and, with. And then you're thinking, well, how am I going to birth this baby out of this pelvis? And then you're thinking, how am I going to look after this baby with this pelvis? And there will be nothing really wrong with your pelvis, and it's so so rare to see any kind of gaps in joints or, or around those areas. So please don't worry about about that. And then I guess the same thing, which we'll, I know we'll come on to in a bit in terms of with exercise, you know, if, if someone's telling you there's a problem with, you know, if, if you're thinking that instability or, you know, it's gapped or it's out of place is a weakness, then you're not going to want to, you know, put much exercise through that, are you? Yeah, so there's exactly. there's no consequence of a knock-on effect of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, are there any other risk factors then kind of which, you know, increase the chance? You know, is posture, for example something that can predispose people to to to, to back pain or pelvic girdle pain? So we actually know that um, posture isn't an indicator for pelvic girdle pain, which is, uh, which is interesting and you'd think that it might be, but the literature says that it's not. However, when you're pregnant, there are biomechanical changes that happen with a growing load on your front, you have a changing center of gravity. And actually the risk of falls in pregnant women is higher towards the late pregnancy because we're so much bigger at the front. Um, and so what happens in those biomechanical changes is that you might get muscles or muscular structures that grip onto bones a little bit tighter in places and that can irritate structures. So whilst posture in the literature says that it's not an indicator for um, pelvic girdle pain and back pain. I think that the posture related biomechanical changes could be, if that makes sense. So 
making sure you can move in and out of postures, moving into neutral and out of neutral. No one wants to have a sustained posture the whole time, but ensuring that your body's flexible enough to move in and away from neutral is the best thing. Brilliant. What are other risk, other risk factors for um, or predisposing factors to, to back pain during pregnancy? So there are... Um, there are quite a few risk factors. So previous pregnancies are a risk factor. Um, the more the pregnancies, the higher the chances of pain around the lower back and the pelvis. So there are a number of things that kind of come to mind. Is it because of the previous stretch and the load that has been put through our body? Perhaps the mum hasn't had the time to rehab effectively postnatally. Perhaps they've been in pain and continue to be in pain. And so the structures actually haven't had a t- chance to calm down. Um, and also, is it due to overactivity in the pelvic floor? So in a 2018 study, there was an association of lower back pain and pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. In fact, 96% of women with back pain also had pelvic floor muscle dysfunction and weakness, but it wasn't actually necessarily due to a frank weakness in the pelvic floor, a true weakness. It was actually because the pelvic floor was overworking and over tight. So um, in those cases, pelvic floor muscle strengthening wouldn't be appropriate because you'd just be overworking an overtight muscle. So it's really, really critical that you go and see somebody, you know, if you're struggling in the pelvic area so that they can have a look, so that you're treated appropriately. Um, so other risk factors would be any other kind of orthopedic issues, if you've had any issues with your hip or legs, um, any pelvic floor dysfunctions that we've just talked about, and um, also the the having the diastasis rectus abdominis. So that's the, the gap between the, the rectus belly. So if you like your six-pack muscle, that's your rectus abdominis. In um, pregnancy, you'll find that, that that connective tissue that joins the muscle bellies together, that's called the linear alba, it actually separates and the tissues get thinner, obviously to allow the growth, allow the growth of your baby. And whilst a recent study said there's no correlation between back pain and that this tummy split, you could argue that there is going to be a reduced capacity to transfer load through that area because the tissues are thinner and weaker Um, and so could that result in an overload in the lower back potentially yes it could I think although the evidence said there is no Mm. uh, there's no correlation Um, if there's any history of previous trauma to your pelvis or any history of lower back pain especially if it's in previous pregnancies um, that's a risk factor having a raised BMI so if you're overweight or also if your nutrition isn't very good so if you're you're eating foods that kind of feed an inflammatory process. We know that those are drivers to pain. And so getting on top of your nutrition and making sure you're eating foods that really nourish your body um, are key to kind of bringing down those those pain drivers. Smoking, that's also a risk factor. And uh, interestingly, being dissatisfied with your job is a risk factor. Yeah. Um, and a lack of belief of improvement. And I think that comes back to the fear. If you're really scared about your condition and really scared about your uh, the outcomes, your pain is less likely to get better. So it's really important to just to sit down and ask yourself, what are your biggest fears? What are those drivers of pain? If you can myth bust and get on top of your fear factor, then your pain will definitely come down. Now, I think I have covered all the risk factors. Fantastic. So <laughs> can I just uh, clarify quickly, going back to talking about pelvic floor dysfunction, you mentioned that kind of dysfunction. 
how would someone know if they had a pelvic floor dysfunction? You know, whether that was, you know, whether they had a tight pelvic floor or a weak pelvic floor. What are there a few highlights of the... Yeah, just so the- a pelvic floor dysfunction. So you would get bl- symptoms with bladder and bowel. So you might have difficulties letting go. So voiding bladder and bowel, or you might have difficulties holding on. So you might have some incontinence um, and that would be an indicator of something obviously going wrong. The continence mechanism isn't working. Um, the other things that you might feel would be pain during sex on penetration but also like deep like the deep penetration might be painful you also might have a difficulty of um kind of hesitancy with voiding urine for example um and you might also feel deep pain in and around the pelvis and it might radiate to kind of into the groin so um any of those kind of feelings of that the that deep pain in the pelvic area that would indicate some kind of issue with the pelvic floor no thanks for thanks for for clearing that up i found that you know dissatisfaction at work as well really quite interesting that's uh because that goes in hand in hand with stress and and, and depression absolutely yeah you know that's also a risk factor for general non-specific low back pain as well which we've come up before um so obviously this is very common throughout pregnancy um would it appear more commonly in different trimesters, you know, towards the end of the pregnancy? Or is it more like if it's going to come on, will it come on at the beginning? So evidence tells us that it's more common in the late in late pregnancy. Um, but 20% report severe, 20% of women, sorry, report severe symptoms during 20 to 30 weeks of gestation. So gestation being um, pregnancy. Um, 33 to 50% of women report um, pelvic girdle pain before 20 weeks. And then the prevalence may reach up to 67, 60 to 70% in late pregnancy. So it really very much depends on how you're dealing with your pregnancy, I think, as to how your pain progresses. If you're, um, if we talked about a lot about those fear factors, if you're becoming more and more scared as your pregnancy goes on, you've got the labor looming and you haven't been talked to you know, rationally by a healthcare professional, then it may well be that your pain, it does increase. And of course, we've got that increase in load. We've got the changes biomechanically, and I'm not talking about relaxing. I'm not talking about pelvic changes necessarily. It's all about how your foot communicates with the floor and how your center of gravity communicates with your base of support as you move. So, you know, have those muscles become really tight and that, you know, around the the structures that hold, um, that they grip onto around the pelvis, have they become a bit grippy and has the area become a bit more sensitized throughout that kind of late pregnancy? So as soon as you feel something is not quite right, don't think that it will just go away. Go and get it checked out. You know, it's worth just having a bit of an MOT so that somebody, if nothing else, can just calm you down. Yeah. And and show you that this is normal, it's common. Yeah, know, absolutely. And it's, not a, it's not a danger to you or the baby. And, yeah. You know. and, the, and actually, the majority of women that I would see do fall into that category that they've just got, like, I call them transient tweaks and twinges. So when I was pregnant, I would have just maybe for one day, maybe even less, just this bit of a stabbing pain into my pelvis. The next day it would be gone. And then maybe three days or weeks later, I'd get something else. These are transient pains and really normal. Just if you're worried, get an MOT, get it checked out. That's always good advice. You know, if in doubt, get it checked out. And we've yeah. said it numerous yeah. times on here. <laughs> what about, um, uh, you know, kind of multiple pregnancies, you know, first, second, third, fourth, you know, if not more, are people more likely, less likely to then kind of have back pain, pelvic pain, or does it go down? Yeah, no. So, uh, well, evidence tells us that the more babies you have, the more likely you are to having this problem. I thought it would be the other way around, actually. I thought it would be more likely in the first 
pregnancy? I thought you'd adapt. Well, and it, well it's here. interesting. So there are a number of factors here. And I always thought that it was it would be like, almost like a biomechanical reason, but actually it's really not. There are so many other factors that we need, we need to consider. Um, why is it that, uh, you know, someone of who's had maybe two or three or four or five, whatever babies would be more at risk. And it could be that they have, uh, haven't rehabbed postnatally that well. It could be that they're not that strong and the tran- the transfer of load during day-to-day movement isn't as good. And so it could be transferred to the lower back or the pelvis. That is a possibility. It could be that the mum just doesn't have time for herself. So is it that this mum is so busy that she simply doesn't have the time to carve out for some time for her? Is it that this person's actually had miscarriages or have they had awful traumatic births that haven't been processed? So there are so many other drivers to pain that we need to consider. It could be a nutritional issue. It could be a combination of all of these things. So when you go and see somebody, it's really important that that person that you're seeing takes a really full history, not just of your physical body, but how you're feeling. What are your fears around this? And I think a a healthcare professional that has had children is always, you know, not always, but can be an advantage in in, in that because they understand you know, what it's like, because, you know, as I've come to realize since we've recorded this, you know, having children myself, you know, that you don't understand what it's like until you have children. And no. that, like you said, the lack of time for yourself and those type of things, you know, I think, as I say to all my friends now, you don't know how much time you have until you have yeah, children. Yeah, I mean, I could have conquered the world before I, I was, had children. I, I know, I'm like, why, <laughs> why did, didn't I? Why wasn't I a professional athlete? Or something? Why didn't I write 10 books? I don't understand. <laughs> it's, it's always a way. So I guess then the, you know, the key question, you know, post-pregnancy, does it clear up? Uh, that's also a really good question because 25% of people can go on to have this pain for up to a year, maybe two years after delivery. And I think that I'm going back to this this fear thing again. And it really depends, I think, on the birth that somebody's had is that if you've had a traumatic birth, it is, it is okay to really want to talk about it when you're ready and process it fully. Because what happens is in stress, is that we it we our nervous system changes into a bit of a fight or flight so it's that kind of response where it's almost like a lion's chasing us but there's no lion chasing us and if your body goes into that chronically over long periods of time then you know your your hormonal environment changes your stress hormones go up that stress hormone called cortisol and that is a real driver of pain so after you've had your baby really take that time in that fourth trimester so that from birth to 12 weeks postnatally to really process what's happened to you, enjoy your baby, slow down and let your body just recover from what's happened. And I think the chances of your pain reducing, if you're really gentle with yourself in that period, um, kind of would be much greater. Fantastic. So I guess kind of then, if that's a lot about the prevalence and what it actually is, can we talk about then how it actually presents this kind of back and you know pregnancy related kind of pelvic girdle pain? What does your typical patient normally look like? You know, how do they how do they present when they come in? Okay, so uh, like I said, the the most part of the most most of the women I see would be people who um, have had those tweaks and twinges. They're more transient pains, so the real persistent pains. You are, 
I'll see much less of those people because I'm seeing more of the people who are worried that something's gone wrong and then I'm there to kind of allay their fears. So they they would present as this kind of perhaps central lower back pain. It, you know, you it gets better when you move in and out of positions. It's aggravated in sustained postures. And, you know, it's almost like they're hanging off their ligamentous structures a little bit and the joints in their back are coming closer together because they've got this big kind of growing load on the front. So sometimes that can come with just from a stiffness in the back. So, you know, it's really important in that that um, physical examination that you're clearing all of the joints, you know, surrounding and associated with the lower back. So clearing the hip and having a look at the pelvis and having a look at the lower back. But you also might get um, women who... Um, are struggling with a sensitization around the pelvis or the lower back because of this tightening I mentioned before the gripping of the muscles and sometimes you know muscles don't have independent thought they are dictated to by the nervous system and so if your nervous system is giving loads of input to those muscles it might be that you just need to calm those muscles down um, in, in different ways and I can talk about that later. Um, and then those muscles need to be taught how to kind of change their length and tension relationship um, through exercise, really, through different type, dif- different loading and movement. Um, and then with the pelvic girdle pain, it's quite it's quite a specific form of lower back pain, and it and it arises from the pelvic girdle, and pe- the pain may. So pelvic girdle being, like I said in the beginning, the sacroiliac joints and they're going into the pubic symphysis and the pain may radiate into the groin, into the kind of the saddle area and around the back of the pelvis across those sacroiliac joints. So those big joints that join the pelvis at the back. You might feel it going into the the bum and you might have a band across the lower back or into the back of the thigh, but it doesn't usually go past the knee. And again, you need to be checked to make sure that is this pain referring from other structures, from the hip, the pelvic floor, from your the pubic symphysis at the front of the pelvis, or even from the coccyx. So that tailbone at the back has a lot of attachment into the pelvic floor. And it could be that something's going on around there. So a really thorough examination is really important. And then you might see a handful of women who have back pain originating from other structures in the lumbar spine in the lower back and if you've got any pain that's traveling down the leg past the knee it's and it, it feels like a kind of a stabbing sharper kind of electric shock that might be suggestive of something happening at a disc or a joint in your back and again you might um you know you just need to go and get checked out no no we've covered lumbar radicular pain and sciatica on in huge detail on uh, on on this podcast yeah, so, before so we uh, <laughs> so that you can go and get that check, yeah, listen to those and have a learn about those there yeah yeah i mean i guess there is always an overlap you know in that kind of you know divide between lumbar spine pelvic pain yeah you always know, yeah and you can have two things as yeah. well it doesn't always have to be you know one or the other you can have a mixture of both and you can have a bit of weakness here and you can have a yeah absolutely also a bit of bit of ridiculous pain as well so and it's all more confusing sometimes for for us therapists when we're seeing people yeah and actually you know if I would just treat somebody as I find them and if someone is in a huge amount of pain I'm not going to put them through a barrage of tests to make them more painful I'm just going to try and calm that pain down yeah that's it and so is there usually a tipping point with these new mums you know is there usually a point that makes them go I need to see someone now that they've kind of come in to see you so if it's somebody in their first pregnancy they're usually coming fairly quickly because they don't have another another child to think about and they're putting themselves first whereas mums who um, have had more than one child usually don't put themselves first 
<clears throat> speaking from experience and I'm you know <laughs> I'll talk about my own experience I'm always ignoring things that happen and I'll just say oh, I'll just get better I'll just get better if that's you don't ignore it yeah. <laughs> come on in <laughs> No, exactly. And and it's that fear, especially, as he said, in, in, a, in a first pregnancy, you, you don't know, you know, you don't know what's normal, you don't know what's abnormal, yeah. you haven't had, you know, maybe, maybe you've had less friends and family go through the same situation. But as you get older, you know, these things become a bit more apparent and you're yeah. aware a bit more, I guess, of, of st- other stories and people's stories. Too. Yeah, and I think everyone is, um, and what you can read on the internet, I mean, it's, uh, it's remarkable and staggering at what utter nonsense and lies are being passed around and actually I, I what I would say is that really try not to go down those rabbit holes in the internet and look at reputable peer-reviewed sources you know follow people on social media who are actually you know licensed and practiced and experienced in this area we'll link a few in the in the show notes as well yeah, yeah. absolutely so are there some common other common conditions that can cause kind of, you know, general pregnancy related low back pain? You know, do we give this a diagnosis or is it just similar to other, you know, normal lower back pain? Um, I think I think really because there's so much fear associated with these these things, unless it's something really specific that is coming from a disc um, or, you know, articular in the lower back and you've got that kind of ridiculous, that traveling pain down the leg, then I would actually avoid going into a diagnosis because what I don't want to do with my patients is give them something to worry about that there's something wrong with them when it isn't that often isn't the case you know it's often the case it's mostly the case that structures are just sensitized and it's simply a case of calming the pain down so people can move better and you they get those functional gains so you know in in lower back pain in any other kind of in any other in any other population it's impossible to really find a specific cause of pain because pain is complex there are so many other factors to consider we spoke a lot about the stress about the fear you know what those, what's the person doing with their life what are they eating how are they sleeping all those other things feed into pain and so yeah i i mean i i tend to stay away from you know, those specific mm. kind of dis- dysfunctions in inverted commas, because I think it's really unhelpful and kind of pain inducing language. I think you're right. And I think that that non-specific low back pain, whilst it can sound quite, you know, negative almost for some patients, you know, what, you know, non-specific means, it doesn't mean we have no idea what's going on. It just means we can't attribute your pain to one specific structure. Yeah, and exactly. I think, you know, if you explain that correctly, then you know, it's that, you know, it, it can be multiple structures that are causing its back pain, as we said before. So giving them the confidence that it's nothing seriously wrong and they can go about and exercise and load and gradually improve this, then that's the, yeah. the best thing we can do for anyone with lower back pain, really. Yeah, absolutely. But there are obviously, um, you know, the, the, um, the more serious conditions that we need to consider or keep in mind and absolutely refer on so if you get any any symptoms where your sudden loss of control of your bladder or bowel um you'll get you're falling and you don't understand why you've got no balance pain and weakness in both legs then or or numbness in that saddle area so in the area where you'd wipe after going for to the toilet then you need to go to a and e 
Yeah, and uh, you know, f- for more on that episode, I think thirty-eight, we did an entire episode on cord Aquinas syndrome. Yeah, um, which is a really fantastic episode for exactly that. And that's whether you're pregnant or not. You know, it's a it's a, it's a very rare but but serious condition. Yeah. What other red flags and kind of you know, stuff should people look out for? So there are other conditions where that would need to put, you need to have a kind of full examination and a, a differential diagnosis where there can be um, uh, fractures in the hip. Um, and that can be as a result of kind of a uh, osteoporosis and it's called transient osteoporosis of the hip or in pregnancy so what what um, usually the risk factors for this is that, that you're, um, you get this progressively worsening hip pain in the third trimester and it can be a, quite a sudden onset. You've got a history of low weight. You perhaps have over-exercised prior to becoming pregnant and you might have had a kind of history of poor nutrition. You might be per- perimenopausal. You might be a smoker and you might still be drinking or have had increased alcohol intake. So those are all risk factors. So if you get that sudden increase in pain, progressively worsening in the third trimester, go and get it checked out you can go to a physiotherapist or another uh, uh, well any 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 therapist it doesn't have to be a physio but they need to be make make sure that they can do that kind of differential diagnosis it could all this is very very rare but we need to consider you know infections if you're feeling systemically unwell uh, you know in your body you've had a kind of relentless pain or you've you're you're actually losing weight you're unable to sleep at night then that uh, is suggestive for something quite serious and you need to go and get that checked out immediately. Pregnant women are actually uh, a higher chance of getting a DVT um, and usually in the groin, usually in the left. That's a blood clot, isn't it? Yeah, 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 that's it, a blood clot. Um, And what you would see is that you might get swelling, some redness, and uh, in the groin, you would get uh, swelling on one side of your labia. On the so unilateral swelling on the on the usually on the left side so one side of your labour would be swollen, and it would be really quite red and painful. Um, other things that you need to be aware of if you're pregnant, and which most pregnant women are aware of, because we all worry about those things that could go wrong, <laughs> um, is preeclampsia, where it could be a, could be a really serious condition. If you have global swelling of your feet and ankles, face and hands, with headaches, visual disturbances, pain underneath your ribs, you've got high blood pressure and protein in your urine. If if that's tested, so if you're worried. Don't it's come fro- to a frothy physio. wee, isn't it? Yeah, yeah don't extra co- frothy wee. Don't come to a physio. Go to your doctor or a mid your midwife. And I guess as well, it's not really a red flag, but you know, being in labour can also cause a lot of back pain. So yeah, you know, that's, absolutely. That's I guess a- we'd probably call it a red flag, but you know, signs that someone actually might be in labour. That's yeah, that, that's one of the first signs is lower back pain. For me, it wasn't. It was um, uh, tummy pain, but um, but if if you're late late in your your third trimester and you're getting back pain think about fetal movements have you had extra braxton hicks you know perhaps don't go to your physio yeah. call your midwife first that's good, that's good. So, the, <laughs> so those are all then important signs that someone should go to any or see that see, see that their, their gp or, or or a doctor what about um when someone should see a physio so obviously you're a a, a pelvic health physio or a women's health physio as they used to be called um you know when should someone go and see one of those um, so, well, as we've discussed before, the earlier on, if you, I think that you need to nip things in the bud. So, as soon as you start feeling that you're not feeling quite right, as in physically, you might have these transient pains. You might have transient pains that are becoming more persistent. Your function has decreased, and so particularly with um, pelvic girdle pain, 
uh, women struggle standing on one leg, they struggle um, transferring load from one leg to the other, so climbing stairs might be difficult, putting on your clothes in the morning if you're having to sit down, turning over in bed and kind of, of getting out of the car, so where you're having one leg coming away from the other and then the other one meeting it, that can be problematic. So if you're getting any of those kind of um, symptoms, then get yourself checked out straight away so that you can you know you can have those structures calm down have some movement and um also have you you know talk about your fears so you're you know you're not stressing about it you're not worried about it fantastic so obviously as you said you, you're uh, you know specialist you know women's health pelvic pain ph- uh, physiotherapist what is your approach to treating your kind of pregnant people pregnant related back pain these type of things so there is no um one size fits all and that's why it's really important that you don't google and come up with some kind of generic plan that has been sold i think it's really important that you just come and have a bespoke treatment so i will spend a lot of time talking to my patients um, in the first session, most of it is talking because I really want to understand your obstetric history. So whether you've had children, the traumas that you might have had, what you're really scared about, whether you've had these pains before or how, you know, just how have you been? Uh, you know, how stressed are you at the moment? What's your life like? And then you'll have a full, thorough objective examination. And I don't tend to... Um, not that it's contraindicated, you you are allowed to, but I don't tend to do internal examinations of pregnant women, just because I, you know, why take the risk? I can I can assess the pelvic floor in other ways, um, but you'll have a full pelvic examination, and then um, clearing those kind of structures above and below so lower back going into your hip even down into your knees and your your feet and I'll see how you move and how we can make those movements easier and what the the treatment will be maybe some manual therapy if you need it which might be some stretching or some um some you know um mobilizations through your joints I want you to really move away from the the feeling that you need to be manipulated through your pelvis to some, for something to be put back in place it's absolutely not true. You don't need that at all. But sometimes structures need to kind of be stretched and just the laying on of hands can calm structures down. We know that they, you get this kind of oxytocin production when someone lays their hands on you, as long as you like them. <laughs> and it's pain yeah, yeah. And it's pain-free. Otherwise you get all back to that yeah. cortisol level that we spoke <laughs> yeah, about yeah. before. Yeah. And it's pain-free. Then that's a, that's a really nice way of calming structures down. Um, but then getting you moving, you know, we've, we function on our feet. We don't function lying on a plinth with someone touching us. So, you know, working out how you can move better. And sometimes those movements will be really small to begin with. And then you'll grow into bigger movements. So that's what you can expect from from you from me. From you, yeah. yeah, and I also want to talk about breathing because it's such an important part of you know pelvic floor dysfunction and rehab in everyone, I think, but postnatally particularly, is that you know if you're stressed, your breathing changes. If your breathing changes because it works as a cylinder, the diaphragm, the breathing muscle works as a cylinder with the pelvic floor. If your breathing is altered, your pelvic floor function will also be altered. Usually it's an overworking of the pelvic floor and this bracing that happens happens through the abdominal wall. So what we want is for to get someone breathing properly. That is absolutely fundamental, getting them, you know, just breathing. <laughs> 
No, <laughs> so everyone listening now can uh, can take a nice deep breath and just uh, yeah, and just... breathing into your belly, into your into your into your rib cage. Good, and I guess then you know, so that approach should be the same as you kind of alluded to before. No matter what the certificate hanging on your wall is, whether you're a chiro, physio, osteo, you know, sports therapist, sports rehabber, it should be that same approach, really. You know, it's uh, yeah, the, it's not profession dictated. What... No, absolutely not. As long as um, you know. I mean, I think a, a bit of experience, like you say, with at least having had children helps, but it's not obviously not essential. No, of course not. But I think, you know, your bedside manner is just so fundamentally important when you're talking to someone who's terrified of perhaps pregnancy and labour. So, yeah. No, I think it's having children, as you said, has definitely changed my approach. I've had a few pregnant patients since. And yeah, it's changed my approach and my outlook and understanding their fears and their worries and, and being going through that process. You can yeah. explain to them what's going to happen as well, you know, f- yeah. from, from, from your own experience. So that's really, really good. So as long as that patient is giving, is getting some good home exercises and rehab and, you know, a good assessment and some confidence I guess being installed in from the therapist and that's all that all that should matter yeah and actually going on a few more point about activity and exercise in pregnancy it's a real myth that um we shouldn't be exercising in pregnancy so um and I want to signpost you to some online resources which are peer-reviewed and you know um really trustworthy resources so the um chief medical officer's um guidelines for um physical activity in pregnancy and this was updated in 2019 is that we, as pregnant women, should be, if you're healthy with no contraindication, and if you have a contraindication, you'd know you'd have been told that if you're moderate to high risk, that we should be exercising or active for 150 minutes a week and moderately active. So what does that mean? It's being able to exercise or being active um, and you're still able to talk so it's called the talk test as long as you can talk in a sentence um, then that's kind of a moderate activity and that's a safe level but 100 at least 150 minutes is quite a lot you know 20 to 30 minutes five days a week is you know it's that's a it's a normal amount for anybody so you know we've got to move away from this whole pregnancy is almost an illness type type um, it's not the 1920s. You no, don't like, exactly. go to bed and rest. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole thing of, oh, you shouldn't be doing any heavy lifting. Well, you can. I was weight training. I was doing CrossFit with my first child until I was eight months. You know, I was I, I actually went into labor teaching a Pilates class. And you finished teaching the Pilates class, can I say? And then, then? went home yeah. and then gave birth. Then you went home and gave birth. <laughs> yeah. I didn't actually know I was in labor at that yeah, point. All, all, yeah, all, all these pregnant ladies were like, I hate you. <laughs> You're so, sat there in labor teaching a class. So you can do all these things. And it's really important to be to be active. And whilst I advocate that, if you're in a lot of pain, you might feel that that's not even achievable for you. So that's why it's important to go and check, get checked out because we want you to be as active as you can. So let's get that pain under control so you can achieve those kind of goals of 150 minutes because we know that the more active you are and the healthier you are, the healthier your baby will be. You know, it's, they've, they've shown increased, um, the, the scores called APGAR scores, so basically how alert your baby is when it comes out. They've shown that if the more active you are, your baby will be more active and alert too so yeah it's fascinating so so don't be afraid of movement movement really is your friend and keeping as active as you can and so that talk test you know that's you know a brisk walk a light jog a cycle you know a swim yeah it's pilates yoga yeah those type of things as opposed to sprinting yeah in terms of that yeah that's not the talk i wouldn't pass the talk test no and and i think and i think um 
um, people who have been very active can continue to be active people who are just getting into exercise then start off slowly as you would if you weren't pregnant and I think just keep yourself safe you know make sure you're not going to do anything that is going to bump your bump so yeah so no um downhill skiing perhaps let's avoid that um you know all those things yeah the high risk um just avoid those things fencing (laughs) yeah anything that's gonna harm harm your harm your bump so people that are, are currently pregnant um kind of obviously exercise is a big part of that but are there any other things that people who are pregnant then have back pain or pelvic girdle pain that they can do to help themselves? Yeah, so um, doing some simple movements. Move your back. Make sure that you can get in and out of postures. So can you round your back off? Can you straighten it up? Can you bend from side to side? Can you rotate through your spine? Can you turn from side to side? All of those things. You might want to do a little bit of gentle yoga or something like that. That would be really safe. If you're worried beyond that, if your pain doesn't go away, then come and get checked out. Like I said about the um, the activity, have a look at those guidelines and uh, I'm going to signpost you to the Active Pregnancy Foundation. Perhaps we can put those in the show notes. Of course. Um, so that you can see, uh, you know, what you can be doing. And there's also a lot of myth busting there. So you know what's safe um, that you can be doing throughout your um, your pregnancy. And it tends to be that the more active women do tend to have easier births and easier recoveries postnatally. So, you know, there is an incentive there to keep active. And whilst you might have these transient pains, it might be that the activity that you do, as long as you enjoy it, I'm a big believer in don't do something that someone's told you to do, do something that you love, because that will bring your stress levels down, that will bring your pain down, you know, you'll be you'll get that sense of kind of almost control back over your body. Um uh and yeah and that's a great way of helping yourself what about um pelvic floor exercises you know people talk about kegel exercises and 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 that are they good or versus bad or is it just is patient dependent uh, it, it really is patient dependent because if somebody is in a lot of pain it might be and i just spoke about the 2018 study earlier it might be that the pelvic floor is actually overworking and so i wouldn't want to say broad brush yes you know do pelvic floor exercises for everybody because actually that might make it worse however if you if you know that you have a pelvic floor weakness then do your pelvic floor exercises to strengthen it up and we do actually know that if you do pelvic floor exercises in pregnancy you have a greater chance of being uh, continent towards the end of your pregnancy and then postnatally recovery is is better so that absolutely won't harm you Pelvic floor exercises, however, that are just done in kind of lying or sitting and not with movement aren't particularly functional. So I think it's really important to, you know, integrate those exercises into your movement too. And again, go and see somebody who's qualified in teaching you if you don't understand what you're doing with that. But I don't also don't want you to overthink it because the pelvic floor by its very nature should be an automatic muscle that just does it jo- its job as you move and you shouldn't have to think about it too much. But it's a good practice to do, do some pelvic floor exercises, know where your pelvic floor is. It's good just to have the biofeedback, you know, the brain kind of brain to pelvic floor to understand those structures before you have your baby. And once you've had your baby, don't get too het up about doing pelvic floor exercises straight away. You might be a bit painful. So just a gentle squeezes, almost pulses just to, to start reworking it. But it's, it's when you feel that you're able to, when you're not too sore. 
And how about, you know, obviously training for labor? Um, you know, there's, we spoke up before previously about kind of functional movements for childbirth and stuff, you know, is that worth doing? You know, Absolutely, 100%, yeah. Brilliant. So what if we think about the movements that you're going to need after your baby's born, well, which we need anyway, you know, squatting down, climbing the stairs a million times a day. And what what do we do when we climb the stairs? It's kind of a semi-lunge, isn't it? You know, you're bending down to do something for the baby. That's similar to a deadlift kind of movement. Um, and then just having this, the strength to lift your baby up to you, put it back down. Don't forget your babies are growing low. They're not going to stay tiny for, for, for very long. So you need to make sure that you're able to, well, you have the the strength in your muscles to be able to transfer those forces and those loads going through your body. So absolutely training for motherhood, in my opinion, is essential. That's really, really, really good to know. What about the belts, supports, you know, you see kind of pregnancy straps and belts? Um, so it very much depends on your um reaction to the to the compression of a belt if you've got pelvic girdle pain and your structures are very tight and grippy through the pelvis it might be that actually having compression around that area increases your pain and so if that's the case don't wear one and go and get checked out so you can have the you know the structures looked at and your movement looked at but if you find that actually compression around the the if you if you think about just beneath the pelvis you've got the knobbly bits of the sides of your hips they're called the greater trochanters. If you have some compression around that area that gives you compression through the joints in your pelvis and your pubic bone at the front and it feels good, like you're being kind of given a hug, then absolutely um, wear one. Um, you know, it has to go on a case-by-case basis, though I wouldn't say everyone needs one. I didn't wear one. That's good. Any other tips then for anyone who's pregnant and might have back pain or wants to avoid back pain? Anything else that you were um, like to add in? Whilst we talked about posture not being an indicator for back pain, I think just it's makes it's common sense to be aware of your spinal position because the change in a spinal position in like sustained slump alters our breathing, it alters our, then alters our pelvic floor function. So having a long, relaxed spine as much as you can, I think is is a, is good is a good habit. But again, it's being able to move in and out of positions. Um, and if you're sat at a desk, you're an office worker, get up and move around regularly. Alternate. Between between a chair, maybe sit on a sit ball, stand up um, to the desk if you can have a standing desk and and use a lumbar support. So one of those um, kind of, you can use a rolled up towel or an actual lumbar support to put in your lower back in the chair just to give you some comfort around the lower back. Yeah, I do like those lumbar supports and it's that I often will tell patients is that use one for a bit then take it away and then use it use it for that one for a bit use it without one for a bit and you're just constantly alternating yeah. so it's that constantly changing posture so it's you know there's no there's no point sitting in a lump with a lumbar support for 12 hours you know it's, yeah absolutely. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't help it's uh it's just that constantly evolving posture and constantly moving position i guess isn't it yeah absolutely and then i think it's just worth whilst we're on the the chat whilst you're go- when you're going into your fourth trimester so that's when you've had your baby and it's that really early days like i said take it slow be really kind to yourself and um, and then gradually start doing things functionally as you feel you're able to. So gentle walking, pelvic floor exercises as you need to, just gentle squeezes and you're building up to that 10 repetitions of 10 second holds. Um, but even that, don't worry too much about it. Just start gently and, and progress. And I'd just like you to signpost you to um, 
the postnatal return to running guidelines. Even if you don't want to return to running, they are really good guidelines to break down how much you should be doing kind of at what stage. And they are just guidelines and some people return to exercise much quicker uh, than others, but it's just to know what you can do and when. And I have so many women um, who are in the postnatal period who just are terrified of doing things that they're perfectly able to do and their bodies can tolerate what you we're trying to do but they just thought that it was bad in inverted commas for them there's no good and bad it is just dependent on you and how you're responding and it's exactly the same in pregnancy if you're doing an activity and your body's body's telling you not to do it don't do it modify it listen to your body it has this inner wisdom of keeping you safe that's a, a very good message to, uh, to, to to kind of bring us towards the end. I guess kind of the last thing I know previously you spoke us you spoke on the podcast about patients or pregnant people wrapping themselves up in kind of like a psychological bubble. Um, yeah. I don't know if you kind of wanted to elaborate that on a bit more. What would be in your in your psychological bubble? So I I just feel like you because of the internet because of you know people who are really happy about telling you all the things that can go wrong in pregnancy and as soon as you become pregnant everyone wants to give you their opinion and pass comment and judgment about how you look and what you should be doing Uh, you know mine range for was that baby planned to you look like a christmas pudding you know it's just (laughs) endless barrage of insults quite frankly So I just would, I'd like, I'd like women just to try and wrap themselves up in this little psychological bubble where you only trust your very most trusted people. So your midwife, your pelvic health physio, you know, your consultant, if you've got one, and those people who are closest to you, don't let anyone try and railroad you into thinking that you shouldn't be doing something or you should be doing something. Just stick to the truth is what I would say. Fantastic. I think that's a very good message to end on. Stick stick to the truth. <laughs> so Sarah, where can people go to find out more about you? Are there any other links that you'd like to us to signpost to or you'd um, like to share? So you can find me on Instagram at Physio Sarah Fellows and on Facebook, the same handle. Um, I do have a Twitter account, but I can't remember it. I'm not very active on it. That needs to change. Um, and just the ones that I said to you in the, in the show. So the Active Pregnancy Foundation, the guidelines cmo 2019 guidelines and then postnatal return to running guidelines those are the big ones at the moment for me to signpost you to brilliant we will link to link to all of those in the uh, in the show notes and we look forward to following you on uh, on instagram um and anywhere else that, anywhere else that, anywhere else that we uh, that we see you so thank you ever so much for joining us thank you for taking time out of your day to uh, to speak to us and i'm sure we'll probably invite you on again at some point in thank the future you. no worries thanks, thanks for listening take care everyone have a great day Thank you so much for staying and listening to the end of that episode. As a reminder, if you are enjoying the shows, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. We love hearing all the reviews. We read them all. And it means the absolute world to us that someone to take the time to sit there and write one. So thank you for everyone that has done so far. And if you're reminded, if you are enjoying it, please leave us a review. Take care, everyone. Have a great day. Hold up. 